Hello and welcome to the Locust and Honey podcast. We are two Reformed Southern Baptists who desire to speak the truth of the gospel to the heart of the culture. We are also proud members of the Bar Network, which stands for Biblical and Reform Network. If you would like to support our growing podcast, you can do so several ways. One, you can leave us a comment and share our podcast on your social media. Two, you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And three, you can follow the link in our show notes to find all of the other ways that you can support us and connect with us. The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterwards, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Well, hello and welcome back to the Locusts and Honey podcast. My name is Matt. And I'm Andrew. And this is episode 38. Today, we're going to be talking about last days, question mark, part three. Mm. Man, a three-parter, a trilogy. Yes. If you will. Yes, I will. I will too. <laughs> It'll be fun. So we're going to get into uh, the kingdom of God. We're going to get into the new heavens and the new earth. We're going to get into all of that today, looking at some of this stuff in, in the Olivet Discourse and elsewhere in Scripture. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have a part four mm. with the book of the Revelation. Mm. <laughs> That'll be fun. The book of the Revelation. But before we get into all of that, we need to back up here, slow our horses down. Uh, we're going to affirm and deny some stuff. Andrew, would you like to start us out or do you want me to? Uh, I, I can start out with an affirmation. Ooh. I'm still working on brewing up my denial. but All right. Um, my affirmation is going to be the 2022 baseball season, just the whole thing. Hmm. It's, been, it's been actually really crazy, like one of the crazier ones. That I've experienced. So we down here are baseball fans. At least I am. Um, but I have a appreciation for the game as a whole and other teams and stuff. Even though I do root for our Braves, but not the Mets. I, I don't like the Mets now, and I have no appreciation for the Mets. Um, but anyway, um, so Unless this year you like the Mets and you listen to our podcast. Yeah, in which case, you grace, need to find a grace team. and peace. But you need to find a better team. Cheers and amen. Preferably the Braves. But this year, you've had a guy named Miguel Cabrera, plays for the Detroit Tigers. He got his 3,000th hit at the beginning of the season. 
You've got a guy named Albert Fujols who plays for the St. Louis Cardinals, got a 700th, 700th home run at the end of the season. And you've got a guy named Aaron Judge who plays for the New York Yankees. He hit 62 home runs in this one season. All of those are incredible milestones. So the question is, who's the better home run hitter, Bonds or Judge? Well, I mean, if you compare apples to apples, I mean, just looking at it, it's Bonds. But if you take away the steroids, it's kind of hard to say. Bonds with steroids, yes, is better than Judge. <laughs> it's better than everybody. He's like a video game character. Yeah. Like, but uh, without him, without steroids, we'll just we'll never know. I guess we shall never know. But uh, yeah, and then the Braves did well. They won the division. Sorry, Mets fans. They won 101 games this year, which is the most that they've won since 2003. So it's just been a fun year. So I'll affirm it. It's good been times. Fun. Yeah, good times. So um it has to do with baseball. I just let my two oldest watch Rookie of the Year. Have ah. you seen that movie? Mm-hmm. Where the kid breaks his arm and then he can throw like a hundred and he throws the my favorite part is when he throws the home run ball back. Yeah. And it's like a seed yeah. straight to the catcher. Brian's <laughs> like, What? So we watched that this past weekend and they loved it. Yeah. So they were all about it. Tiff had never seen it. Really? Yeah, I was like, How have you not seen this? Yeah. So they enjoyed that. And I was like, Dad, do you have any more of these really old, cool movies? <laughs> oh. So that movie came out in 93. And I told him, I was like, 93. So I was 11 when it came mm-hmm. out. And uh, you look at all the people in the stadium and the cars they're driving and the clothes they're wearing and stuff. <laughs> and it's like, man. All right. I am 93 older. for them is like black and white pictures right. for us. It like is. It's. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. Tiff was commenting, though, on how the mother of the kid that can throw the 100 mile an hour fastball because he broke his arm. <laughs> the storyline out loud. <laughs> the storyline's <laughs> not the best. But uh, uh, Tiff was talking about how she's in vogue right now. Everything she was wearing. She had the white, I don't know, the sneakers. White sneakers on. Yeah. With like the mom jeans. Oh, so she's like back in style uh, now. Yeah, yeah. 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 The, the 90s are, are in. They are. They really so. are. The hairstyles. The yeah. ch- I think it was it champion sports. Like champion was real big in the 90s, and then it just kind of dropped off, and now it's like huge again. Well, when are starter jackets going to make a comeback? That's what I'm saying. Because that starter was jackets. like in the 90s, if you had Jordans and a starter jacket, you were too legit to quit. <laughs> I'm waiting on the uh, I'm waiting on the sweatpants that are like windbreakers yeah. to come back. So yeah. like when you walk, it's like. Whoosh, whoosh, well, that yeah, whoosh. it was the whole windbreaker suit. Yeah, you know, and they were all neon. <laughs> <laughs> or the Reebok pumps, you could pump it up. I always heard about that. I didn't know it was a real thing. Oh yeah, I had a pair. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I, for for Christmas, I got a pair of Reebok pumps and yeah. a Georgia Bulldog starter jacket. Nice. Yeah, I was I was legit. That I is. had my. Uh, Undercut like so when, swoosh hair going. Oh, okay. So that yeah. wasn't when you went with the M M&M. and M. Nah, nah. Yeah. That was in high school. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, Man, let's move on. Um. All right. Is your affirmation affirmed? Am I, yes. Okay. All right. So I'm gonna affirm uh, a word. Okay. Discipline. Ooh, that's a good word. It's an underused word in our society today. I'm affirming it for a. a multifaceted reason uh one in eating we need to be disciplined Two in like working out we need to be disciplined 
But in the Christian walk, I think it's highly underused uh, in American Christians today. Just the, the understanding that one of the fruits of the Spirit is discipline, and one of the signs of a mature believer is discipline in the life of the believer. And then one of the fruits of the flesh is a lack of discipline. It's just this doing whatever we want to do when we want to do it because that's what we want. And so one thing that I've been kind of talking through lately, and really I think we could do a whole podcast on it, is just what role does discipline play in the life of a believer? Uh, Because if you look at people of the faith who are following Christ, if we're looking at mature believers, if you look at people in Scripture, uh, they were disciplined. In fact, Christ was the most disciplined person to ever walk the earth, you know? And Mm -hmm. um, I I think we need more discipline in our lives, especially when we live in a culture that's teaching us that you can have anything you want when you want it, the way that you want it. And and so, yeah, so I want to affirm discipline, uh, biblical discipline, and just discipline on a day-to-day basis in our lives. Um, if we're going to be disciplined, we, we need to be seeking after the Lord because our flesh does not want to be disciplined. Mm-hmm. Our flesh wants what it wants. And we have to, like what Paul said, uh, basically, I beat my body into submission so I don't forfeit the calling which I was called. So I'm going to affirm discipline today. All right. Yeah. Well, that's a good affirmation. Thanks, man. Um, I I think I guess I guess I'll begin my denial now. Okay, let's just jump right into it. All right. Um, we just got out of the cold pool. We're gonna jump into the sauna. Right. So I am going to deny. Well, I've had I actually I've had a couple things in my brain swirling around. Just throw them all at me. I'll deny two things, man, that have been on my <laughs> on my mind. The first right, is a little bit. More having to do with the culture. The second more has to do with the Christian walk. All right. So we'll start with the cultural denial. Um, And that is the uh, tyranny of transgenderism within our culture. The (laughs) TT. Man. Yes, I'm denying the TT. (laughs) I'm going to deny that because... Uh, it's starting to become, <laughs> it's starting to become a bit more widespread and a bit more, <laughs> a bit more prevalent, um, <laughs> more noticeable. Gotcha. Uh, because the, uh, the medical community has, is kind of under the thumb of the, I guess, organization that credits hospitals and doctors. And, and what's happened is that organization has gone woke and basically pressured doctors and surgeons into uh, submitting to the ideas of transgenderism, mainly taking perfectly healthy children and um, changing their sex or attempting to do that, which right. is basically just mutilating them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you've got that going on. You've also got school boards who are literally um in virginia you've got places that are walking out like you're having walkouts of high schools by students and by teachers and stuff like that because the state of virginia decided that if a child um 
wants to be called something of the opposite gender, whether that be a pronoun, whether that be a name. Um, and the the teachers are going to do that. They have to let the parents know. The yeah. parents have to know. And that is, that is what's making people upset, just right. the fact that the parents have to know. Because prior to that, it was, okay, if if little Johnny wants to be, you know, Susie, then we get to call him that um, and not even tell the parents, Yeah, you know? And that stuff is just getting crazy. And so um, I think as Christians, sometimes we can look at stuff like that and be like, man, it is a it is a giant that we are going to have to take down and that's going to take forever and it's going to be difficult. And it's going to be hard and that may be, but the promise is that that giant will be slain. Um, that enemy will be put under the footstool of Christ, as we're going to talk about it later on in this episode. But right. um, so I'm going to deny that because I was hearing about that this morning. I was like, "Man, that's just stupid." Yeah. Um, and then Not, within, oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's crazy. Like, there's, I, I I saw a thing where a school board was having a one of their council meetings or something with the community, and they were talking about how they're wanting the school board to put litter boxes in bathrooms mm. for furries. For furries, yeah. So if they identify as an animal, they can go to the bathroom in a litter box. Yeah. And uh that stuff what's going on, it, I mean, around just, here. Well, yeah, so you know, in our county, and we live in Georgia. <laughs> like, yeah. The not Atlanta. Well, yeah. We don't live in yeah, we live in rural <laughs> yeah. Georgia. And know? uh yeah, so we've got and I know one of the middle schools here, there's a a furry and then there's somebody who identifies as a latex glove. Here? Uh-huh. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I don't know what you do. <laughs> just kind of just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's oh, weird. man. So, um, go ahead, though. Okay. And then, coming off of that, the other thing that I want to deny that can tend to happen in uh, the church and in individual lives is the... I guess the wanting for things to happen immediately or quickly, and if they don't, then it's failing. So example would be, for for example, um, taking down the lie of transgenderism, taking down that whole concept and having it submit to the rule and reign of Christ there are Christians who look at that and they say, well, that's impossible. And the reason why they say that's impossible is because they don't see that happening in the next five years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's like, well. Well, and know, I think things, though, the people that think that, I think their idea of where the culture is, is skewed though. I think they're getting a lot of their information from the media mm-hmm. and social media and so they think, wow, lots of people think this way. Right. Like that movie Bros mm-hmm. that just oh, came yeah, out. It did terrible. It, it made yeah. $4.8 million its first opening weekend, mm-hmm. which is astronomically low. Mm-hmm. They, they were, their worst case scenario was eight to 10 million. They knew it wasn't going to do good. And so they're thinking, okay, well, maybe it'll make eight to 10 million. It made 4.8 million, mm-hmm. which means nobody went to see it. You yeah. know what I mean? Because nobody cares about that. Right. Nobody wants to see that. Uh, it's the first... So for, for the listeners that don't know what bros is, it's the first homosexual or LGBT rom-com 
and all of the cast is LGBT, and it depicts um, an LGBT uh, accurate romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and on Twitter and all over the place, the people that were in it, the guy that made the movie, he was like, "If you don't go see this, then you're uh, a homophobe or mm-hmm. transphobic or one of the phobias." But nobody went to see it. Mm-hmm. Not even, you know. Right. So I, I think that there's a very loud minority of people that are pushing for certain things like transgenderism. Um, and everybody else feels like they have to agree. Mm-hmm. Like the by everybody, I mean like the non-Christian average American. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, I'll affirm that. I'll say I affirm that. Um, but they don't affirm it enough to pay money to go and watch that. Right, because ultimately, they know it's yucky. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. So, um, while it is a, a a big obstacle, I don't think it's as big of an obstacle as we think it is. Mm-hmm. I think we're more in the Old Testament when it talks about you see the the hundred running from the one, and you know that's a sign of God's judgment. I think that's where we're at. Yeah, it's not this big monster; it's this one person making the hundred run. But they're doing that because God's hand is off of us. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. So. Go ahead. Yeah. No. And, and then I was going to say, you know, that kind of idea of if it's not happening quickly, then it must be um, failing, I think, can sometimes seep into our own personal walks with Christ. Um, because sanctification is a process. Sanctification right. takes time. You've got to work. You've got to plow the field. You've got to be disciplined. Um, and that takes time. It takes time for the fruits to bear, yeah. you know? And so I would say uh, I will deny that within, you know, the Christian evangelicalism culture. Uh, and I guess the encouragement would be that if you're feeling down or backslid because you are, you know, having a hard time being disciplined or something like that, I would say just keep your hand on the plow. You know what I mean? Um, I like your denial, so I'm going to run with it a little bit. Okay. Uh, Because I was kind of thinking about similarly, just uh, not specifically transgenderism, but just the whole left ideology and and how pervasive it is in the culture where you've got people that they're not having their own kids. So what they're doing is they're infiltrating schools Mm – starting in the universities now in public education to teach their ideology to the next generation because ultimately that's the biblical model, right? Right. Like God's given us the family. We raise our children up in the admonition of the Lord and then they raise their children up in the admonition of the Lord. And if um, if your lifestyle does not lead towards marriage or even being able to procreate, then you need children to raise up to continue your ideology so that's why they've been attacking uh, school systems and public school and all of that. Really, I mean, you could ar- almost argue that was kind of the, the concept behind the idea of a public school system, you yeah. know, so that we can teach these kids what we want to teach them. Um, but what what I was thinking about with that is just, um, well, how long is it going to take to see that happen to where people realize that, what they're believing is Romans 1, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but the answer that I came to is ultimately, just like in Romans 1, if you read all that stuff, the reason those people were thinking that, it says four or five times, but God gave them up mm-hmm. and turned them over to a debased mind. God gave them up and turned them over to the desire for men to desire men and the desire for women to desire women. God gave them up and gave them up to these things, right? So, like, that's a part of God's judgment on a people. They've turned their back on God, and so he's giving them up. But the Lord can easily turn that around, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, It just takes those people— worshiping God as he desires to be worshiped, you know? Mm-hmm. But what you were talking about too with just the the being patient, if you look at the Old Testament, we are a very stubborn people. And so God is very, if, if you're outside of time and you're outside of all of that stuff, then it's a lot easier for God to be patient, yeah, You know, and we should be patient people. But um, you think about the Israelites had to wander in the desert for 80 years before they could enter the promised land. Mm-hmm. They were there for 40 years, and then they were there for another 40 years while those first people mm-hmm. died off, you yeah. know. And um, or if you just look at God tells Abraham, I'm going to give you children. And Abraham's like, cool. Like, he's fired up about it. And then... Years and years and years and years and years and years and years go by, and Abraham's like, "Well, now I'm old, so come on, Hagar, let's you know." Right. And um, so he's he wasn't being patient and waiting on the Lord, but God has a plan, and He is going to see it come to fruition. Mm-hmm. It just takes time, and and if we learn that to be patient and to think generationally, and not just think, "Okay, what can I do in the next year? How are we gonna?" completely turn the history of our American culture in the next year. Uh, the, the, the ultimate answer is we need to be having kids and teaching them to love the Lord and teaching them to be biblical men and biblical women. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, our churches, uh, we just had our 198th birthday, if you will. Uh, our church is 198 years old and we all were, we wrote something, uh, in a newsletter that we send out to the church body. But that's what I was talking about. Our church has been here for 198 years, which is like 50-ish years shy of our nation. Mm-hmm. You know, So there are people that were uh, founders of our church that were around during you know, 1776. Right. And, um, but what I was talking about there is what can we learn from that, how are we going to survive another 198 years and, and beyond that? And the answer is, uh, ultimately, we need to teach our children that God has given us marriage as a blessing. He's given us the family as a blessing. We should be having kids and Deuteronomy 6, you know, teach these things to your children in and out of season. When you're walking down the road, when you're doing all these things, be teaching these things to your children Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You know, um, we are to love Him. We are to serve Him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And if that's what we're teaching to our kids, how to go about doing that, then we are going to see if I have three boys, and then my three boys have three boys each. You know, and then they have children, and their children have children in 
you know, three or four generations, my faithfulness, which isn't mine, God's given me that ability, but that faithfulness that the Lord's produced in me is multiplied 20-fold, mm-hmm. you know? And in and, and, and multiple generations, you see tons and tons of people that are following Christ now, not because of me going out and sharing the gospel and impacting other people's lives, but just because of me being faithful to teach my kids and teach them to teach their kids who teach their kids, mm-hmm. you know? So that's the the primary way is through the family and the family submitting to the Lordship of Christ that we see this happen. Then you have the added benefit of us being called to sow seeds, you know? Um, and, and then I can impact some, and when I say I, I'm not talking about these are things that I'm actually doing, but God is using me as the body of Christ to present the gospel to people, you know, mm-hmm. and the gospel is the power of God into salvation. And so he is, uh, he's then taking hearts of stone and making them hearts of flesh and impacting those families and their lineage. And so really, ultimately, that's how we do it is we're faithful to the Lord We have kids and teach them to be faithful to the Lord. And in the meantime, while we're doing that, we're also being the mouthpiece of Christ to those around us. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. So, uh, and then if God does any other miraculous work apart from that, whether it's Reformation, Revival, that kind of thing, then that's up to the Lord. Mm -hmm. But we should be faithful to be plotting where he's put us and uh, primarily in our families secondarily in our churches, and then thirdly in our workplace and our communities. Mm-hmm. So I know that was a very long intro. I haven't even denied mine. Should I deny mine real quick? Just sure. so you can hear what it was? Sure, yeah. All right. Um, I liked yours though, man. Well, thanks. That was fun. Denying is fun. All right. <laughs> I'm going to deny post-postmodern bad guys. Ooh. I'm denying post-postmodern bad guys. Um, I so this this idea is not an original idea. Heard it on the uh, Reformed Brotherhood, I think. But you've got postmodernity, and it has been said that we are in post-postmodernity, <laughs> and um, what that's done to the idea of a good guy and a bad guy. So I grew up when I was real little. The Lone Ranger was still on TV. And mm-hmm. so you got the Lone Ranger, and he's in his white outfit, white cowboy hat, right on his white horse. And he's going, and he's beating up all the bad guys, right? And the bad guys usually were on a black horse, and they had the black hat. And, like, you could see the screen right. and see that as a bad guy, right? And uh, and the bad guy would do bad guy things. Why? Because he's a bad guy, mm-hmm. you know? But in our current culture today, the bad guys— we want to make them have a reason for why they're bad to justify it because our current culture, our post-postmodern culture has rejected the idea that we're born with a sin nature. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the understanding is we are all, we have good in us and we just need direction and circumstances to align to present right. that. But everybody's ultimately good. You know, um, so you do you, you pursue what you like. And if you're being true to yourself, then that's good for you. What good, what's good for you might be bad for me, Mm -hmm. you know? So 
uh, I don't know, Maleficent, that, you know, Disney movie yeah. where you get the witch and they go to the backstory of, well, why is she this bad witch? Well, it's not ultimately her fault. She's trying to be good, you know, or the new Hocus Pocus that just came out that Disney did, you know, the whole, they're giving a backstory to why are the witches bad? In the first one that came out 23 years ago or so, um, the witches are just trying to eat kids so they can mm-hmm. live forever. They're just being bad because that's what witches are. They're bad, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but in the new one, we have a backstory to why they're trying to eat the kids and live forever. And uh, Or in the new Lord of the Rings trill- or prequel that's on Amazon, um, we can give spoilers, right? Yeah, I'm not watching it. <laughs> so in the new one, there's this yeah. unknown person. They don't know who it is. He kind of falls out of the sky. And uh, and he's helping the hobbits and, you know, he's doing these good things. And he accidentally hurts people from time to time. Uh, but it's not intentional. But nobody knows who it is. But they're thinking the internet is thinking that it's Sauron, who's like the big bad guy in Lord of the Rings. And... um but it's given this backstory to show he's he's not just this bad guy. You know, it's either people can't just be bad anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, Thanos from uh, Marvel. Mm-hmm. Well, he's not really bad. He's just trying to rid the earth of half the population to take strain off of the earth, <laughs> you know, uh, or or the galaxy. Sounds you know? uh, um, Hitlerian. Little I know, bit. <laughs> but, but he's not being bad, though. You're right. just misunderstanding his, his motives. His mm-hmm. motives are, to him, they're pure and good. Right. We perceive that as bad. And so, um, but yeah, that's my, my denial, is this idea of the post-postmodern bad guy and how you have to try to, uh, like, there's not an understanding that we are evil and we do evil things out of our evilness, mm-hmm. you know, out of the, uh, our hearts are desperately wicked. We know not the depth of it. Mm-hmm. And so people being bad are being bad because that's who they are apart from God moving and working in their life. There's, uh, no understanding of the idea of us being, um, totally depraved anymore. And so I reject or deny that idea. It's pretty solid. Thanks, man. Yeah. Yours was too. Thanks. Well, now that we're uh, halfway through our episode, right. you want to jump into the topic at hand? Sure. What have we been talking about? Give us a recap. Well, we've been talking about the Olivet Discourse. We've been talking about, are these the last days? Is the Olivet Discourse speaking of us? Or is is is, is, well, Olivet Discourse. is Jesus speaking of us? Or is he speaking of the generation to which he's talking. Yeah. Um, and um, the first episode was mainly backstory on the Olivet Discourse, and then the second episode was getting into the Olivet Discourse itself. So that's where we're at. Yeah. yeah. So uh, first episode, we were in Matthew basically 21 through 23, and then last episode, we are in Matthew 24, uh, the part two. And today, we're going to try to tie it all together. But um, if you continue in Matthew 24, you see Jesus talking about the coming of the Son of Man. um, And then he goes into, no one knows the day or the hour. Uh, I think this passage, I'm going to read it, and then we can kind of talk about it. 
Um, well, I'm going to go back to the lesson of the fig tree because I've heard John MacArthur give a take on this, and we would disagree with the conclusion that he came to. But it says, from the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see all of these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will not pass away. Then it goes into this. He says, but concerning the day and the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came upon them and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. When two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So, what is the, the common way that this passage is interpreted? This reminds me of the uh, DC Talk song. Yeah. I wish they'd all been ready. Yeah. Yeah. That is the common way. I mean, it, it's that... Um, Basically, this they, a lot of people in these days will tie this in with the uh, secret rapture, which they get that out of First Thessalonians four. Now, I when believe. you say secret rapture, you're saying that biasly. Biasly? Yeah. Oh. They don't call it the secret rapture. Oh, <laughs> I've heard people call it that. <laughs> <laughs> um, but. So basically this idea is, you know, you're going to be sitting at your office in a cubicle and like the person in the cubicle next to you is going to get raptured and you're going to be left behind. Yeah. And so the way that you don't get left behind is you need to be ready. And I guess what that means is you need to come to Christ. Be saved. Be saved. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when you say secret so, rapture, what you're referring to is the Lord, not his right. second return, but when he comes in the clouds to take the believers Pre-tribulation. Right. Yeah. Um, so that yeah. I think and is so where... a lot of people use this passage for that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and what they'll say is when he, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. What they say, they go back to the beginning, what we read last time. Um, and when he, he says, tell us when will these things be and what will be the sign of the coming of the close of the age? And Jesus answered and said, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in your name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you do not be alarmed, for this must take place, but at the end, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. 
Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise, and many will be led astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed to those who endure to the end um, throughout the whole earth as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel, stand in the holy place, then let those who are in Judea flee into the mountains, and it goes on. And so uh, what they say is um, when the generation that sees those things take place start to happen, then get ready for the rapture Mm because the Lord's about to come back. And so why so many people say that we're in the last days right now is because they're saying, hey, we're starting to see these things happen, you know? So we are that generation. In our generation, the Lord's about to return. Uh, And like we talked about last week, people have been saying that, though, for uh, about 2,000 years now. Mm -hmm. Um, So why are so many people getting that wrong? And our argument is that they're not reading this passage in context. They're not being consistent with what's being talked about. They're not being consistent with what Christ is actually saying. And so, like we talked about last week, Christ is proclaiming his judgment on Jerusalem, old covenant Israel, and the whole structure that um, was in place there. And so, because when you look at even what he says, but concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the son, but only the father. For as we're in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. What happened in the days of Noah? In the days of Noah, God's judgment fell on his creation. Mm-hmm. You know, so in Noah, we see salvation for Noah and his family, sealed by God, right? He puts them in the ark, he seals the door from the outside. We see salvation, which is Christ, right? That's a, a, a foreshadowing of Christ and his salvation for his people. But then we also see God's judgment poured out on everybody else. And that's what Christ is prophesying. He's been talking about the the temple being destroyed. And there's going to be this judgment on old covenant Israel. Um, There's that judgment that comes, but there's also salvation found in the coming of the Son of Man. And so uh, what that whole passage is talking about, just like in the days of Noah— people were going about their daily lives until until Noah was sealed in the ark. Mm-hmm. And once that happened, it was too late to repent. God's judgment's now being poured out uh, and the waters of the earth busting forth and rain from the sky and all of that, you know? And uh, that's what he's talking about here. Um, so as he says in, in verse 37, for as we're in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. If you look at Luke 17, starting in verse 20, it says, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them. He said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, 
the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And so Jesus is telling them there, the kingdom of God is already in the midst of you. Mm. If you look at John the Baptist, his proclamation was, repent for the kingdom is at hand. And, and so when Jesus is saying, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gate. Like that's an immediate thing. If I'm at the gate of somebody's property, I'm there. You know, mm-hmm. you don't see me in the distance and I'm coming eventually. Um, when you guys, you who are, I'm talking to, which is who he's been talking to the whole time in Matthew 24, is those people. Um, if you look at all the yous, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. There's over twenty that I can just count right now. Um, he's talking to those people. But truly I say to you, this generation before me that I'm talking to will not pass away until these things take place. The people that he's talking to is the generation that is seeing all of this happen. Because just like what he told the Pharisees in Luke 17, like the kingdom of heaven is amongst you now. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, but just like in the days of Noah, people are going on about their daily lives. They're one day yelling, crucify him, let his blood be on us and on our children. And they're continuing to marry and they're continuing to work and they're continuing to do all these things. But God's judgment is about to fall on them. And so um, I, I wanted to kind of dig a little bit deeper into the two things that the disciples brought up to Christ. They asked him, when will these things be and what will be the sign, right? Uh, And there's two things they expounded on. The first is the kingdom of God, and the second is the new heaven and the new earth, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So what will be the sign of the end? And, uh, well, specifically, they said, um, when will these things be? And that leads, uh, hearing the temple will be destroyed, leads them to ask um, the coming of the Son of Man and the end of the age. So uh, what are the signs of the coming of the Son of Man and the signs of the end of the age? And like what we talked about last week, that end of the age, it's not the end of the world. It's not cosmos, physical world. It's ion, age, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So the kingdom of God is, um, I'm just going to read some passages and feel free to stop me as we get through these. But, um, in Genesis 49 verse 10, we see that Shiloh is coming. Um, there's this prophecy that Shiloh's coming and to him shall be the obedience of the nations. So when we're looking at, when we're looking at what is the kingdom of God look like? And when Jesus says the kingdom of God is here now, um, what does that look like? Well, in Genesis forty nine ten, to him shall be the obedience of all the nations. We see the nations obeying and surrendering to the lordship of Shiloh. Romans 1 and Romans 16, so the beginning and the end of Romans, the purpose is to bring the obedience of faith for the sake of his name through all the nations. So Paul, in, in the beginning of the book of Romans and at the end, first and last chapter, he, he specifies that the purpose is to bring the obedience of the faith for the sake of his name through all the nations. We've talked about Matthew 28, the Great Commission, the very last thing that Jesus said right before he went into heaven. Um, 
all authority has been given to me. He's been given all authority. Um, and then what does he say? Go make disciples and do what? Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. So the call is to go and teach them to obey. Obey what? Him. All that, yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Psalm 2, um, which is what Jesus quoted on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, what it says there, I'm going to pull that one. That's up. a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. I'm going to, um, <clears throat> let's see. Psalm chapter two, it says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heaven laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them with his fury saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, and dash them into pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O king, be wise, be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Um, so what you see there is uh, Jesus didn't, when it says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance. Um, Jeff Durbin says, Jesus didn't forget to ask, <laughs> you know? Mm -hmm. um, and, and then the second thing that you see there is now that Jesus has authority, the kings submit to him or they're destroyed. If that's talking about a future kingdom that the Lord's coming to establish later, who's going to be destroyed? Right. You know, if if the nations or are not... wicked kings. Right. Yeah. If the nations are not his inheritance now, then who's going to be destroyed when he comes back? Right. You know, when we're in the millennial kingdom, you mm -hmm. know? Um because the way that a, a premillennial would see that is the rapture takes place and then you have the tribulation. At the end of the tribulation, all of the evil people are thrown into the lake of fire and then only believers reign on the earth with Christ for a thousand years. Um, but if during that time, who who's going to be destroyed for not kissing the sun mm -hmm. and submitting to his lordship? You know, right. there's no more death at that point, it, according to that understanding. Mm -hmm. You know, Psalm 72, verse 8, um, it talks about the Messiah ruling the earth. Why were the Jews expecting a Messiah to rule the earth? Because it was prophesied that the mm -hmm. Messiah is going to rule. So when Jesus comes, why are the Jews trying to pronounce him as king and ruler of the earth? Because that's what was prophesied about the, the kingdom of God and the coming Messiah, that he's going to rule the earth, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, Psalm 110, uh, verse 1. Let me find that one. I'm trying to add scripture so that people don't think I'm just making all this up. <laughs> but Psalm 110, verse 1. 
The Lord said to me, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sent forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Let me start that over. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord set forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day day of your power in holy garments from the womb of the morning. The dew of your youth will be yours. The Lord has sworn that he will not change his mind. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will not he will shatter kings on the day of his wrath. He will execute judgment among the nations, filling them with corpses. He will scatter chiefs over the wide earth. He will drink from the brook by the way. Therefore he will be he will lift up his head. And so um Paul gives a timeline of this in 1 Corinthians 15. And what Paul says is that Jesus defeats all of his enemies, and only then he defeats death. So the very first part of this, when it says, sit at my right hand, and I will make your enemies your footstool, Jesus defeats all of his enemies. Once they're all defeated, then he defeats death. Mm-hmm. And then um, he then doesn't bring the kingdom, but rather he delivers the kingdom over to the Father. And uh, and so when we see God establishing his kingdom through Christ, it's this, uh, he is currently making all of his enemy under his footstool. And once that's done, then he defeats death. And then he turns the kingdom over to the Father completed. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Isaiah 2 talks about how the mount of the Lord is the highest and all the nations stream up to him. Isaiah 9 says that the sun is coming, the mighty God, and the government shall rest upon his shoulders. Isaiah 42, Christ's kingdom is bringing justice. The whole earth is waiting for his law. He is bringing peace to the world here and now. Um, Daniel 2, we talked about last week, but you see the four kingdoms, and what happens is this little stone not created by any man, um, becomes a mountain and it fills the entire earth. And Ezekiel, you see Ezekiel wades out into the water and it's ankle deep. And then he wades out further and mm-hmm. it gets deeper and deeper until this river becomes a flood and fills the whole earth with this living water, you know? Uh, and then Matthew twelve twenty eight, if I cast out demons by the spirit of God, I'm going to turn there as well. Matthew 12, 28 says this. This is when they were uh, confronting Jesus. But it says, let's see. Um, So, where should I start? All right. Then a demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute was brought to him, And he healed him so that the man spoke and saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that this man has cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. 
And if Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do you, your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Hmm. And that's Jesus was casting out demons um, by the Spirit of God. And he said, if I do that, then, then the kingdom of God has come upon you, you know? And so, um, so that is the kingdom of God. That's kind of a, a run through that. Um, then the other thing, what is the, the sign of the end of the age? What does the new age look like? If that's the end of that ion, what does the new heaven, what does the new earth look like according to scripture? So, uh, looking at the new heaven, the new earth, Second Peter chapter three, verses one through ten. Sorry, verses ten through thirteen. Second Peter chapter three, verses ten through thirteen. This new heaven and new earth were ushered in with the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Christ. Uh, in verse thirteen, um, let me read that real quick. Second Peter. Chapter 3, verse 10 through 13, it says this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought be, ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promises, we are waiting for the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. And um, so this is all according to his promise in Isaiah 65 and 66. Uh, If you read Isaiah 65 and 66, we don't have time for me to turn there now. But Isaiah 65, verse 15, uh, it talks about how uh, Israel is going to be given a new name. I'll I'll read that one verse. Uh, Isaiah 65, verse 15, says this. It says, You shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse. And the Lord God will put you to death, but his servant he will call by another name, so that he who bless, blesses himself in the land shall be blessed by the God of truth. And, and so you see, uh, you, which is Israel, you shall leave your name to my chosen for a curse, and the Lord God will put you to death, but his servants will be called by another name. Israel will be given a new name. Uh, when this happens... In verse 17 of Second Peter chapter 3, he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Romans 10, 17, uh, why is Paul preaching to the Gentiles? Because old covenant Israel has been put to death. He's divorced her. Isaiah 65 uh, and 66 is talking about how God is going to divorce Old Testament, old covenant Israel. Um, but... Um, 
Paul preaches to the Gentiles because his people that follow him will be given a new name. The new bride of Christ is the new city of Jerusalem. It's the new heaven, the new earth, and uh, and that is the church. The new temple is not a building. Uh, Isaiah 66 verse 1 says, uh, let's see, let me get there. Isaiah 66 1, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. What is the house that you would build for me? And what is the place of my rest? All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. But he's saying, uh, like, what's the purpose of, um, what is this house that you would build for me? I, I've created everything, you know. Um, so the new temple is not going to be a building. He has built a new temple and a new Jerusalem. 1 Corinthians 3 and 1 Corinthians 6, uh, he, he tells them both in both of those chapters, you are the temple, the church, you are the temple. In 1 Peter chapter 2, he talks about living stones in the new temple. Um, Revelation 21, it, it described, a lot of people say Revelation 21 is describing heaven. And I've heard a lot of sermons preached on heaven. You got the streets of gold, you got this cube that comes down out of the sky, mm-hmm. you know, and, and everybody's talking about, well, this is what heaven's going to look like. One, if you take those dimensions, how they're mentioned there, like you can't fit that many people in those dimensions, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but, but what Revelation 21 is actually describing is the bride of Christ because uh, and, and we'll talk about this in the next episode when we get into Revelation. But what John's seeing is uh, he's seeing heaven come down out of the sky, and then he looks and he describes the bride of Christ. This is the bride of Christ. That's what he says. Mm-hmm. You know, And so the bride is the new Jerusalem. And so um, that's just kind of a rundown of this new heaven and this new earth. Uh, and looking at the kingdom of God. And what does Scripture say about that, Old and New Testament? Yeah. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think that it's uh, something that's very um, different than what a lot of uh, folks, uh, particularly in the, well, if you go to an SBC church, (laughs) for the most part, you know, you'll be taught um, and you'll you'll grow up with. And... One of the things that we've talked about is eschatology or how you see the end. Um, it, it, it's, it's important. It is tertiary, but it is important in that it also has to do with how you see the kingdom of God as a whole. Right. And it has to do with how you see, um, how you look at the world and assess it, right? Um, if I believe that, you know, basically I've got to um, accept Christ, get as many people to accept Christ as I can, and then hunker down um, and wait. Because it's obvious when you look around us, you see that people talking about like uh, the Bible prophecies coming true and all this stuff, and they'll use stuff about the 20th century that happened in the Cold War and the World War One and Two, and they'll use, you know, uh, 9-11, and they'll use all these other crazy events that have occurred and be like, well, it's obvious that all these things are coming to pass. Now we just have to wait on the gospel to reach every single tongue, tribe, and nation. And at that point, then we're going to be, that's it. 
Right. You know, and so um, I think that what that does is it goes against kind of what we were talking about in the beginning of the episode with uh, thinking generationally. Yeah. There are a lot of people who, like we were talking about our church, been here for 198 years, and you said, um, you know, uh, I pray that our church remains faithful to the Lord for the next 198 years. There are a lot of people who would say there's not going to be a next 198 years. Right. You know what I mean? And that's a problem because if you believe that and you truly live out that belief, which I don't think a lot of people actually do, but if you truly do, then... Right. There's a lot of people that believe that but don't live that way. Right. And that's a good thing. Right. Uh, But um, it is important. So that's what I would... (laughs) I would say, and I would also say that when you look at the biblical, how the Bible describes the kingdom of God, it is so much more consistent with the gospel. It is much more consistent. And this is what I had to wrestle with throughout college, because this is one of my biggest theological, um, you know, uh, wrestling moments, you know, that I had in college. I was all throughout my college years wrestling with this because... I felt that what I was growing up being taught with regards to what we're talking about did not match up with the narrative of the gospel. Yeah. And that was, that created an even deeper issue in me of like, do I understand the gospel? You know what I mean? Um, so, yeah. That's well, my, and I think too. That's my outburst of thoughts. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think that that also explains why there are so many American Christians that relies so heavily on politics right? because they, they have a defeatist mentality when it comes to scripture, right? Like it's going to get bad mm-hmm. and then Christ is going to rapture the church. And what the kingdom of God looks like described in scripture is completely different. It is this mountain that continues to grow and grow until it fills the whole earth. It is Christ having all authority and then saying, go and make disciples and teach them to obey who everybody mm-hmm. teach everybody to obey because he is now king of kings he is lord of lords and he's seated at the right hand of the throne you know right and um so if christ is currently seated at the right hand of god in all power as king of kings and lord of lords then he's king over everything. He's king over countries. He's king over families. He's king over churches. He's king over individual hearts. He's king over all of it, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and, and the church doesn't see that. And, and I think it's worth mentioning, too, that the current pre-mill, pre-trib understanding, uh, specifically like dispensationalism, uh, which is what most people believe right now the whole left behind idea Mm -hmm. you know um that has not been the primary thought of the church for the history of the church that's a a recent phenomenon and it's been about 100 150 years that that's grown in popularity and and that it's become you know well you know what's fascinating with that too sorry not to cut you off no you're good thought on kind of what you're saying is that that actually came about around a similar time that you see um Mormonism come about, mm-hmm. that you see Jehovah's Witness come about, yeah. which both of those are heavy on, you need to listen to me, I'm a pro- like Joseph Smith, I am a prophet from the Lord, and you need to listen to me because he's about to return, and if you don't listen to me, you're going to be judged. Right. All of these Christian institutions are corrupt, 
and you need to follow me. So there's a sense of urgency yeah. for that, well, for them, so that they would get more followers. And then into revivalism as well. It's the same yeah. type uh, idea, you yeah. know? It was it was a, a, a means to help motivate people to walk an aisle. Yeah. You know? So, um, but when you look at what the scripture does say about the kingdom and about the new heaven and the new earth, uh, Christ did return and Christ did return in judgment and he did judge Israel and they were cut off and we were grafted in. And, um, you know, then you have parables like the, what I started off reading in, in Matthew, um, with the, the 10 virgins, Mm -hmm. you know, and people are like, well, we have to always be ready because the bridegroom can return at any moment. But that was the virgins are all old covenant Israel. Mm -hmm. And out of them, there were some wise that saw and followed Christ and they were a part of the church. And you see that in acts where you have these Jewish believers and then you have these, uh, Hebrew believers, you know, that was what made up the church. And those Hebrew believers are the five wise virgins. Um, the ones that were screaming, crucify him. Those were the unwise virgins and they're cut off. Um, and, and so, um, you know, there's just, there's a lot of passages that are taken out of context and, and they're, um, they're attributed to us today, but that was for those people at that time. We are now under the new covenant and the new covenant is Christ is the seal of that new covenant. Christ has established a new covenant with his bride, the, the new Jerusalem. And it's no longer a, a outward expression, but it's no longer, Paul talks about that too. Who are the descendants of Abraham? Those circumcised of the flesh or those circumcised of the heart? Mm-hmm. It's those that are circumcised of the heart. You know, uh, that is the new church. That is the new Jerusalem. That is the new covenant. That is the new ion, the new age, because the old age has passed away. Christ did return. He did judge those people, uh, and they were judged harshly. And, um, and, and so, I hope that that kind of clarifies some of it. Uh, next week, we're going to jump into Revelation because a lot of people, when they hear what we've been talking about, uh, they jump to, okay, well, how does that help me? Who are the 144,000? Yeah. <laughs> Who's the 144,000? Who's the two witnesses? Yeah, yeah. Who's the four riders? Uh, what about 666? What's the mark of the beast, the seven lampstands, mm-hmm. the 24 elders? Who's Babylon? Who's the beast? Um, the 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 seal on the forehead. The woman, you know, the dragon mm-hmm. coming out of the sea, and the the harlot that's riding her. Who is all of that? And so that's what we're going to look at next episode, which will be our four part series on last days. Last days? Question mark. Question mark. Um. But again, I'm going to end on this note. The reason that we're doing this is because we want to spur people to live victorious Christian lives. When Paul says we are more than conquerors, it's not because of us, but it's because of who Christ is. And it's because he is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is making all of his enemy his footstool. And he's doing that through his bride, the church. 
Um, we the the new temple is not made of stone, but it's made of living stones. Mm-hmm. We are the the river of living water that brings life to all of those that are thirsty. We are the bread of life that brings and and feeds people not a meal that lasts for a couple hours, but um, we bring the words of Christ, which can nourish the soul for all of eternity, you know? And so we don't have to be hyperly political to try to force people to worship God or uh, give us freedom to worship God. We need to know that the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords is seated on his throne. He is currently ruling and reigning. And just like we read in Psalms, like the, the leaders of this world plot and they do all this in vain. God looks at what they're doing. He looks down upon them and he laughs, mm-hmm. you know? So think of a person at a chessboard and they're like, oh, I'm going to move here and I'm going to set this, you know, I'm going to set the Christians up and they're going to be completely destroyed. Um, but God looks down from heaven. He's looking down on them, mm-hmm. you know, just like the, um, uh, what was that? The, the tower of Babel, mm-hmm. you know, we're going to build this tower to the heavens and, right. um, and then God comes down to see what they're doing, you know, <laughs> like God is great. Mm-hmm. He is the King of Kings. He is the Lord of Lords. Man's best attempt to be their own gods is laughable to the creator of all things. Yeah. And that's the God we serve. That's who empowers us. That is who we are the mouthpiece of to this current culture and this current generation. And so we don't have to be fearful. We don't have to hope that a politician or a president or a Supreme Court is going to save us because the creator, the one who spoke everything into being is the one who is on our side. We're on his side, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, and we are his bride, and he's sending us out as his body to subject all of his enemies under his footstool. Mm-hmm. So that should empower us. It should embolden us. It should encourage us to to go out and be light and salt in this current generation. But then it should also encourage us to live generationally and to be raising our kids to know that same God and to worship that same God and to raise their kids to do the same. Yep. So... I hope that this is helpful for you guys. I hope that you're enjoying it. Uh, Like I said, next week we'll jump into Revelation. And then um, at the once we're done with that, um, we have our year celebration coming up. Um, October the 20... We should should get some, like, cupcakes or something. Yeah, for everybody, all of our listeners. Um, So... The 30th, October the 30th, uh, will be our year episode, our centennial, (laughs) no, (laughs) our (laughs) annual episode, (laughs) man, hey, Um, but yeah, so what we're going to do for that is a question cast, so all of you listeners, I need you to actually do something. I need action on your part. I need you to either email us at info at locusandhoney.net or send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at Locust and Honey Podcast. And I need you to give us questions because for our yearly episode, our year anniversary, our birthday episode, 
we're going to be doing a question cast and we're going to answer all of the questions that you guys send us. So uh, reach out to us, give us those questions so that we can start answering them. And, uh, and we're going to do the episode where we answer them all that day. Uh, for those of you that are still, still here, we love you. We appreciate you. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you've enjoyed what you've been hearing, like it and share it with your friends and family, share it on your social media, uh, help us get the word out to more people and, um, have a good Lord's day. Yes. And we will talk to you later. We will. Bye-bye. Mm.